This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Welcome to TechWave, Gartner's podcast for technology-driven business results. I'm your host, Francis Karamusis, and our podcast structure for this month is Nerd With Me. In this format of our podcast, we invite one of our most important content leaders for a a specific topic, and we explore some of the most uh, important challenges or problems that are facing our clients, and of course, what research some of our experts are working on or have delivered to address those challenges. We name this format Nerd With Me because we delve into a concept. We look at some of our rich library of Gartner data more deeply, and we try to kind of burrow a hole in the middle of it and understand the implications. And most of all, the actions that Gartner research teams advise our clients to pursue. With that backdrop, I'd like to introduce Christine Lee. Christine has been with Gartner since 2020. She's a senior director and content leader of the Cybersecurity Peer and Practitioner Research Team. This team focuses on chief information security officers and their direct reports. Now that's a mouthful. And as I found out when I started delving into this area, chief information security officers are also known as CISOs, which is their acronym. So it's always important to kind of sort out that acronym soup before we dive in. So with that, Christine, thanks for joining our Gartner TechWave podcast. Thanks so much, Fran. I'm excited to be here, uh, and I look forward to talking about CISOs and their teams. We often only hear about the CISOs world after an unfortunate headline, something like a ransomware attack or a big data breach. But the CISO role is uh, far broader than firefighting. They're critical executive leaders who help the business manage cybersecurity risk. Okay, so let me start with a really naive question so we can kind of set the stage for our listeners. We know a CISO or Chief Information Security Officer. Um, we know the name, but exactly what does this role do? Yeah, the Chief Information Security Officer is the executive who's responsible for establishing and maintaining an organization's information security program. And the goal of the information security program is to ensure what you often hear described as the CIA triad, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the organization's information assets and associated technology, infrastructure, systems, etc. The role has uh, evolved over the last 10 years, but in a nutshell, the CISO's goal is to help their organizations protect against information security risk or cybersecurity risk while enabling the business to achieve its goals. Thanks for that context. I like the use of this uh, acronym CIA. Now, being from the United States, most of us, when we hear the word CIA, we think of something different. (laughs) So now I'm going to kind of change my paradigm here. And every time I hear CIA, I'm going to think confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And given the leader of this team or the CISO or the chief, um, let's kind of delve in. And I recall when I started reading some of your research or the team's research, or actually reading a little bit more of the press around these things that CISOs kind of have a, a relatively short, you know, tenure. Is it around 18 months? I'm trying to recall all the things I read. 
Yeah, I've seen that number too. Um, I've also seen between 18 and 24, um, some others as well. Our team actually did a study on this a while back, and uh, we found that tenure is a bit higher, uh, around 35 months. Of course, it depends on the industry. Uh, but I think that it's safe to say that CISOs have a very difficult job. They have a lot of responsibility, uh, but often not very much authority and agency over outcomes. They have to manage cybersecurity risk by way of influence rather than top-down control. Uh, they really have to understand the business and have to be able to influence human behavior. So let me give some data that puts that into perspective. Uh, Gartner's 2022 Drivers of Secure Behavior Survey found that 69% of employees intentionally bypassed their organization's cybersecurity guidance in the last year. What's even worse is that over 90% of our survey respondents uh, who admitted to behaving insecurely said that they knew that their actions would increase cybersecurity risk uh, and did it anyway. So now we know from studies like um, Verizon's annual data breach report that something like 82% of data breaches involve the human element. Whether we're talking about phishing, stolen credentials, errors like misconfigured cloud settings, Employee behavior can really determine whether your organization gets hit by malware or ransomware, otherwise ends up in the news. Uh, let me just kind of capture or see if I got all this right or what you said. You started off by talking about the tenure and you said, if I caught you correctly, 35 months. That's just about three years. Uh, as someone who's been at Gartner for 23 years, that's still a pretty short tenure there. So. It is indeed, uh, as you said, a really tough job. Then another stat you mentioned that kind of really piqued my interest is, and if I got this part correctly, if I were in a physical office and I was like looking out at a sea of cubicles and I looked around, I think what you said is about seven in 10 people or my colleagues would intentionally bypass the organization's cybersecurity. Um, but of course, that wouldn't be me. It would be seven other people, but... That's still a massive number. Um, no wonder we all have these headlines of breaches and the poor CISO is often kind of getting blamed. With that kind of environment in mind, let me try and see if we, you can help us connect some dots here. The CISO who's, who's responsible for that all-important CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, has to also understand the business and influence positive behaviors um, and influence versus authority or agency, that sounds like a really tough job. <laughs> uh, it's even tougher when you share those statistics like the 90%. I was kind of taken aback when you said more than 90% admitted to this behavior. Uh, maybe you can kind of like give us a little bit more depth or color commentary on those things. Sure. And that statistic surprised us as, as well. Um, cybersecurity leaders and their teams tend to think that awareness is the linchpin. It's the um, end-all, be-all, the key to good behavior. If you get that right, everything else will follow. Um, so things like security awareness, computer-based training ha um, has existed for well over a decade. Most organizations have security awareness programs with training modules, phishing simulations, a host of uh, tactics using email, videos, newsletters, everything under the sun to spread cybersecurity awareness. Uh, but here's the kicker. Even if awareness 
this is necessary, it's utterly insufficient. Uh, let me give you a super mundane example. I'm well aware that I need to go to the gym more, uh, but somehow when push comes to shove, I don't because there's always a huge traffic jam on the way to my gym. Similarly, our research shows that friction is a core driver of insecure behavior uh, and that CISOs and their teams need to pivot to what Gartner calls human-centric security design. So by human-centric security design, I simply mean prioritizing the role of employee experience rather than technical considerations alone across the security controls management lifecycle. So this approach would mean looking at security from the perspective of well-established disciplines like user experience and the behavioral sciences uh, and asking fundamentally different questions. So instead of only asking is this security control, whether it's something like multi-factor authentication or browser, browser or download restrictions, is this security control operating according to our cybersecurity requirements? A human-centric approach would ask, well, how are employees experiencing the control? Are we creating so much friction that we're unwittingly creating incentives for employees to work around our restrictions? Okay, so based on what you're describing to me, it looks like the security teams are kind of going through their own version of a renaissance period, meaning they're thinking about, in their case, human behavior and changing their version of a UI or user interface. Um, so the metaphor that kind of comes to mind as you were talking was, and I'm kind of going to date myself here, um, which is, you know, back in the day, we used to use DOS prompts and the reason they went away hopefully uh, pretty quickly was that you had to kind of know these cryptic, you know, syntax or codes in order to use a DOS prompt. And along came someone like Steve Jobs, uh, who basically said, you shouldn't ever need an instruction manual to operate one of his devices. So he made it so intuitive. And every time you open a product from his company, you actually don't have any paper and it's a much more welcoming to use a device. So if we kind of use that metaphor and we think about, you know, how entire teams here are trying to create a much more human-like or an intuitive way to think about it. Um, and in the case of security, they're moving to this human centricity that you described. Um, how far along is this uh, human-centric security design that you uh, described? Are, are teams already implementing it? Yeah, it's definitely an emerging trend. Uh, we published a case study on Santander, a large Spanish bank that has a group focusing specifically on security and user experience. Uh, what's cool is that they've sourced talent not just from traditional cybersecurity backgrounds, but also fields like psychology, cognitive neuroscience, product design, journalism, fields that are all about understanding and, and influencing human behavior. Um, Santander looks for opportunities to simplify the UX of security controls or to service an unmet user need. So when they're looking at security controls, they consider criteria like criticality, frequency, intuitiveness, perceived burden. So criticality, right? Is this security control critical or can we actually retire it because it doesn't meaningfully reduce risk? 
frequency, how often do employees have to complete this requirement? Uh, intuitiveness, right? Like what you exactly what you said about Steve Jobs. Do employees need to consult an instruction manual, or is it clear what to do in the user interface? Uh, perceived burden. To what degree do employees dislike completing this action, uh, which is an indicator of their likeliness to create insecure workarounds? Uh, this human-centric approach has really paid off for Santander. They're making the secure thing the easy thing, uh, and they've re seen they've seen results like the increased adoption of biometric authentication, uh, a drop in usage of unapproved technologies and tools, uh, and insecure behaviors like up uploading company data onto third-party websites. Uh, so overall, I think uh, what Santander is is doing is. Um, is an emerging trend, and it's a really great example of how cybersecurity can achieve secure outcomes uh, by cultivating empathy, uh, by attuning to the needs and preferences of employees. I love that example of Banco Santander. Um, you know, while they're also a case study that you worked on, they happen to also be uh, a Gartner client or a longstanding client. And every time I talk to them, what's interesting about their company is while they're headquarters or their bank is while they're headquartered in Europe, um, they also have a huge business in countries like Brazil and, so and other parts of uh, South America. Of course, they're here in the United States as well. So what they're doing also has to traverse a lot of different cultures. So this multidisciplinary approach of thinking through human behavior and the psychology aspects coupled with a bit more of a simplified you know, design sounds exactly like what we all need, you know, as a pedestrian to the field of security. Uh, it's music to my ears when someone says to me, I'm just going to make it easier for you to do the right thing. Um, as a personal belief, I kind of like to feel, I take the approach of, uh, in life of, that most people want to do the right thing. Um, so let's just pave the way for them to do that. So this whole conversation speaks to the fact that cybersecurity teams must be kind of in lockstep with enterprise employees um, and how work actually gets done on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's maybe explore some areas that I'm more familiar with, which is business strategy. What are some of the aspects of uh, the business and changes and how business models work that cybersecurity teams need to um, focus on? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Fran. Um, I I think it's important uh, to emphasize that cybersecurity has to be responsive to changes in the business, uh, whether it's uh, digital transformation, uh, the democratization of technology outside of IT, the new normal of remote hybrid. Um, all of these trends have cyber risk implications and are going to thus have implications for how cyber work, um, cybersecurity work gets done. Uh, the good news is that we see evidence from Gartner's recent cybersecurity operating model survey that suggests that cybersecurity is actually moving in lockstep with changes in the business environment. We surveyed over 450 cybersecurity leaders, mostly CISOs from large and medium-sized enterprises across industries and geographies. And we wanted to know whether some of the trends that I just mentioned, like the fact that more technology decisions are being made outside of centralized IT and in business units themselves, um, whether or not these kinds of changes, changes in business strategy, as you mentioned, are leading to changes in cybersecurity governance and, op and operating models. And the short answer is yes. 
Oh, Christine, you can't just leave us there. Please do tell as a gardener analyst myself, I kind of love data. So why don't you share some of these findings? Like what did you discover? Were you able to kind of peel away the onion and explore more what really is going on inside the operations side of cybersecurity teams and what's changing? Sure. I'll mention four key findings, which to me collectively show that cybersecurity operating models are evolving in response to changes in the business, whether it's cloud adoption, agile developments, or more decentralized technology work. So the first major finding is that there's simultaneous decentralization and centralization going on. So let me start with the decentralization. The majority of organizations are making business asset owners, that is the, the business owners of data and technology, formally accountable for cybersecurity risks associated with their particular data assets. And that evolution tracks well with you know, what I've mentioned about the distributed nature of technology work and the fact that more and more employees are making a greater volume um, of decisions with cyber risk implications. At the same time as you see that shifting of accountability to the edge, the majority of organizations indicate that they've moved to centralized cybersecurity decision rights in either a central cybersecurity team or an enterprise steering security committee. Now, we typically associate centralization with greater command and control, but in practice, we believe centralization here represents a move towards more collaborative risk decision making, in part because of the next three changes that we found. So the second big change is that CISOs are liberalizing the cybersecurity policy regime. They're consolidating, reducing policy. They're co-creating policy with employees. They're making policy less prescriptive and more flexible uh, so that employees have more autonomy to decide how to execute security controls. Um, the third big change is that CISOs are also driving the development of new uh, cybersecurity teams, functions, processes, things like DevSecOps, cloud security processes. Um, they're um, hiring BSOs and getting more security champions. Um, all of these changes are uh, reflecting um, and attempting to address the evolving business environment. Um, there are examples of cybersecurity creating more linkages with the business and working toward shared responsibility. Uh, and finally, I think the, the, um, uh, the survey showed that the CISO role itself is evolving from a technical professional to an executive leader. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of things to digest from one study. Let me see if I could capture all these four things or remember them. First, I heard this thing that I've never heard before, decentralization and centralization going on at the same time. And what I got out of that is the part that's decentralizing is the accountability for a huge array of things that we need to protect. And what's centralizing is maybe decision-making about risk. Um, then the second thing I heard is we're making policy more flexible so users have more autonomy. Hence, they can move, hopefully, from that 7 out of 10 people knowingly breaking the rules uh, to more people being involved and contributing to creating the right rules. Um, and then thirdly, uh, I heard that we're connecting cybersecurity to the business. Uh, and then lastly, CISOs are being hopefully recognized in the organization and maybe getting a little bit of their due. You also sneaked in another acronym, which was BSO. So maybe you could kind of do two things for me. Start off by spelling out what BSO actually means. And then secondly, 
uh, double click on that first point, that sort of simultaneous centralization and decentralization. Um, I think it's kind of uh, helpful for our listeners to maybe unpack that a little bit more. Sure. ABISO is a business information security officer, and they're oftentimes the liaison between cybersecurity and individual business units. Uh, so that's a sign of trying to uh, embed cybersecurity uh, more deeply into the business. So let me click on the um, centralization, decentralization. Um, we actually expected to find something a little bit more straightforward, uh, namely decentralization all the way. Um, both shifting formal accountability to business risk owners and shifting cybersecurity decision-making authority into business units and product lines. And we certainly do see a great deal of that. In the survey, we found that 38% of organizations are decentralizing in this way. But the vast majority of folks, around 60%, are centralizing decision rights. And when you double-click on why, it's primarily because they want to drive consistency in cybersecurity policies, processes, and operations in order to improve the organization's risk posture, which makes sense, right? Because there has to be some consistency and oversight so that accountable business asset owners aren't making risk decisions in isolation with uh, completely different guidance and criteria. And as it was pointed out to me, there are also good reasons for centralization that reflect the increasing complexity of organizations and the regulatory environment today. Centralization of cybersecurity decision rights might be driven by an emerging need for connected governance across domains like cybersecurity, physical security, legal, privacy, quality, and so on. Um, ultimately, I think the centralization that we're seeing in cybersecurity reflects more collaborative decision-making and operating models becoming more distributed, especially if you consider the changes I, I mentioned earlier, like liberalizing policy, like creating more teams and processes that allow security and the business to work together more seamlessly, um, as well as the fact that a lot of enterprise uh, security steering committees uh, that folks are centralizing decision rights and actually aim to be broadly representative. Um, they aim often to include participants from uh, a variety of business units. Uh, in practice, uh, you know, we think that business owners can't really be accountable for cyber risk without solid governance and central orchestration of things like policy, risk assessment, conflict resolution processes. So you definitely need collaborative institutions and practices, um, a mod modicum of, of centralization, as it were, in order to decentralize risk accountability. Oh, that was great. That was a really good in-depth sort of summary of both the centralization and decentralization that's going on in the enterprise um, and specifically within the security uh, teams. So maybe now we can um, unpack uh, another one of your four findings. And the one that intrigued me is the role of the CISO itself is changing. Can you can you kind of get into a little bit um uh, more about that? Like, how is it changing and what's really happening there? Sure. I think the changes in the CISO role uh, are probably reflecting the operating model changes and the business changes we've been talking about. Uh, Gartner has been saying for a long time that the role is uh, evolving from one of direct securities controls owner uh, and risk owner to uh, something like a risk facilitator and value creator. And this survey supports that. 
so 44% of our cybersecurity leaders said that before these operating model changes, their primary posture was that of controls owner, someone who implements and manages cybersecurity controls to protect critical business assets. Now, after these operating model changes, only 16% continued to identify as controls owners. Instead, the majority of CISOs indicate that they're either focusing on providing expert advice to business owners to facilitate uh, informed cybersecurity risk decisions, or they're influencing business strategy and enabling informed risk uh, taking to achieve business outcomes. That is, they see themselves primarily as risk facilitators or enterprise value creators. So that's a pretty big shift in executive posture. And it goes hand in hand with changes in reporting lines where there's been a decrease in CISOs who are reporting into the CIO. It's still roughly 50%, but more CISOs are now reporting outside of IT uh, into the CRO and increasingly into the CEO. That is indeed a pretty big shift. So tell me, what are going to be the implications or some of the most important lessons like as we see more enterprises shifting this way and more CISOs, if you will, playing this role in the in the C-suite and, you know, business people getting um, more involved. Yeah. So we've been talking about how uh, cybersecurity operating models are becoming more distributed um, in response to analogous changes in the business and tech environment. And because cybersecurity leaders themselves are less making the risk decisions and facilitating them, that means that cybersecurity needs to help educate people's judgment. If CISOs want to successfully move formal accountability for cybersecurity risk to the business, leaders need to invest in building the competency we call cyber judgment. Um, that is the ability on the part of business employees to make informed cyber risk decisions autonomously. Um, cybersecurity can't scale. And as we all know, there's a talent crisis out there. Um, it needs the business to be able uh, to make responsible trade-offs between business benefits and cybersecurity risk. That seems like a pretty tall order to me. If I was the CEO or even a shareholder of a company, I mean, one of the things that happens today is people, sometimes they kind of like this one throat to choke, meaning the first person, uh, you know, is in line there as the CISO. So Tell me about like this change, like how, how is this challenging thing going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, is a challenge to um, generate this kind of um, competency in the broader enterprise. Um, I think one of the top complaints I hear from CISOs is that the, the business accepts risks that they shouldn't. Um, and this t uh, goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. Employees behave insecurely because they're just trying to do their job. They're trying to achieve sales targets, product goals, release schedules. Um, and folks who are working with uh, technology, um, uh, what we call business technologists, employees uh, outside of IT who are creating technology, technology data analytics capabilities, these folks are actually almost twice as likely um, to behave insecurely than than other employees, but you know, I don't I don't want to just leave you with with bad news. Um, I think there there's um, some reason for hope in the data and some of the client examples we have um, on how people have progressed uh, in this regard. So let me just give you um, an argument for for why we should uh, actually 
cultivate this capacity. Employees with high cyber judgment, right, this competence of making informed risk decisions autonomously, are 2.2 times more likely to help their organizations achieve digitization speed and obtain value from digital initiatives. They're also more than twice as likely to avoid introducing additional cyber risk into the organization. And the same holds for business technologists, right? Higher cyber judgment leads to reduced risk and increased probability of hitting digital goals. Uh, and the good news here is that we know some things reliably drive cyber judgment. Uh, for instance, teaching people applied security using uh, real-life scenarios rather than learning abstract security principles. Um, things like co-creating security policy and controls so that employees have a greater stake in security. Uh, having self-service cybersecurity options that employees can implement by themselves with limited guidance. Uh, having cybersecurity solutions and tooling integrated into employee workflows so um, it's seamless and, and folks don't have to think about cybersecurity. Uh, and for technologists, having policies and guidance that are directly relevant to, to building uh, technology and analytics capabilities uh, in a secure way. All right, Christine, we've talked a lot here and uh both of us being analysts, I'm now going to kind of put on my hat of being a client. And every time uh, they hear analysts talking, the next thing that I typically hear from a client is, give me an example. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff here. So maybe you can kind of tell me an example of an organization that's kind of put this as a practice. Sure thing. Uh, we recently published a case study on Johnson & Johnson, uh, an organization that's really committed uh, to helping business technologists self-manage their own technology initiatives. Uh, they did something really smart. They weaponized their technology acceptable use policy and turned it into an actionable cybersecurity checklist that's a pop-up in the portal for the major applications that business technologists use, whether it's Power BI or Alteryx. So, um, and this is really smart because you get cybersecurity guidance that pops up in the moment when you need it. Um, J&J recognized also something else that I think it's important to call out, that um, the vast majority of technologist activities involve pretty low-risk workflow automations um, that can be self-managed. So what they did was they offered a self-service setup, which includes tutorials and uh, simplified code libraries, automated security tooling. Um, that basically sets up uh, technologists to be able to develop the competencies to self-administer cybersecurity for their own um, technology work. Uh, so they provide technologists, technologists with clear policy, with clear guidance, and the ability to choose. Um, and they basically give them the tools that they need to be able to make uh, risk-informed decisions without someone from security having to watch their, their every move and be involved in every single technology um, activity that's, um, that's in progress. Um, thanks to that, cybersecurity has um, helped facilitate over 100,000 business technologist um, projects uh, that have collectively saved J&J tens of thousands of employee hours, uh, and all of that without adding a single cybersecurity uh, FTE. 
wow, those are some pretty incredible uh, results. And, you know, given the size, the depth, the breadth of a, of a company like Johnson & Johnson, it seems like they were able to actually scale cybersecurity um, and have employees um, to work, uh, do the work of some of the cyber, what the cybersecurity teams normally do, especially when you tell me they didn't add a single cybersecurity FTE. Um, so that's a pretty interesting case study. So thanks so much. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they basically discovered that 80% of the business technology activity could be self-managed. Um, and I, I think that, like, this is a good example that shows that um, cyber judgment is is really an important uh, competency to help develop. And we need to continue to explore ways to, to drive it and its prerequisites. Um, so, you know, things like owner accountability and cyber judgment um, presuppose solid governance, things like clear policy, guidance, uh, consultation on controls, clear escalation mechanisms. You, you really have to look at the whole picture. Wow, thanks. We covered a lot of ground. Um, not only did you share so much about the study, but also shared two great client examples, Banco Santander and uh, Johnson & Johnson. So let me just kindly ask you, can you share some parting thoughts or you know, some prediction you might have that you can leave our audience with? Sure. Um, I will share a, a, a prediction. Gartner um, predicts that by 2027, 75% of employees will acquire, modify, or create technology outside of IT's visibility. Uh, we know that there's top-down pressure driving this. Uh, nearly 70% of CEOs want business functions to perform more technology work. So, this is just one trend that I think um, helps depict how the CISO's world is getting more complex and how cybersecurity risk is distributed throughout the business. And I think an important question for CISOs to ask themselves is how they're meeting these changes in the business. Are there ways they can evolve the cybersecurity operating model to better achieve that elusive balance between protecting and enabling the business? Um, can they do more to incent and build the competencies of employees to do more of the work of cybersecurity? Because at the end of the day, um, there is shared responsibility for cybersecurity risk. And CISOs need to think about the sorts of institutions, practices, and collaborations that facilitate that shared responsibility. I like that, the elusive balance between protecting and enabling the business. <laughs> um, so, Christine, it's been a pleasure to, th and to talk to you and to find out all these insights. So thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, please stay tuned for next month's TechWave podcast. Our podcast promptly publishes the second Wednesday of every month. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. 
All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations. 